Your brother is dead. Do you know what that means? I'm not trying to trick you. It means I'll become king. Yes, you will become king. What kind of king do you think you'll be? A good king? Hmm. I think so as well. You've got the right temperament for it. But what makes a good king? Hmm? What is a good king's single most important quality? This is hardly the place of the time. Holiness? Hmm. Baylor the Blessed was holy. And pious. He built this sept. He also named a six-year-old boy High Septon because he thought the boy could work miracles. He ended up fasting himself into an early grave because food was of this world and this world was sinful. Hello and welcome back to Sound on Sight's Game of Thrones podcast. This week we're discussing episode three of season four, Breaker of Chains, written by David Benioff, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by Alex Graves. We'll be right back after this. We're back with the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, TV editor of Sound on Sight, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Ricky D, general editor, general editor of Sound on Sight. And the proud non-book reader. <laughs> I'm our resident Game of Thrones book reader. I don't know. Yeah, that that other voice you hear is, of course, Derek Gladue, uh, the the host of our Sound on Sight Doctor Who podcast and contributor to the website. Uh, Derek has a good question there for you. Are you just anti-book in general, Ricky, or just you haven't gotten to the, the, the Game of Thrones books yet? No, I think I'm going to read the books eventually. Like I, I talked about this last week where I'm waiting for season four to end. And uh, who knows, maybe I'm going to access that crazy app that makes you read a lot faster um, but, um, no, I mean, I'll read the books eventually. I just, from my point of view, I think it's always best to watch the TV and or film adaptation before reading the books for several reasons. One of which is because the books can go into more detail because they don't have to worry about the running time. Uh, and also because it's the original source material. So, uh, usually when you read the book first, it's easy to be upset when they make certain changes because you know how people are. They're like, oh, they're not paying respect to the original source material and the, and the creator and whatnot. So I just prefer to read the books after watching movies or TV shows, unless I've already read the book, you know, example, Hannibal. Are you trying to imply that Game of Thrones fans are a little possessive of the franchise? Fanboys are never possessive. Come on. Though I will say, for, for I always prefer to read the source material first, though I don't care when uh, when – when material uh, from a book is left out of a TV show or new cre is created. And we'll get into some of that this week. But Derek, what is your relationship with the Game of Thrones books? Are you a reader or are you straight up just TV watcher? Um, well, I came into this um, uh, like with uh, absolutely no idea about the uh, the 
the franchise. I like Sean Bean, and I'm a big fan of the Sharp series. So I was like, yeah, this seems like cool. I didn't even know that it was really a supernatural setting. I just thought it was just a lot of politics, and I thought the White Walkers were all just like a weird cult. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going in gloriously and deliberately naive. I try my best to uh, not... Uh, go on Twitter. I do my. I will try to. I have to always update and take a look at the map of Westeros before a season starts. But I try to remain. I. I. I um, I'm so impressed with the work that they're doing on and how they're presenting this that I want to experience it as a, as a TV show and as a global phenomenon. And uh, I've been so far successful that I actually slept ten minutes before the red wedding happened. I had no idea it was happening. My lady Tanya was in the back of the room clawing her eyes out saying, just wake up. I have to be totally silent. And I woke up like 10 minutes later and said, oh, what happened? Oh, come on. Did somebody die? They all died, Derek. And so I was truly traumatized. Did not see the purple wedding happening. And uh, so, I, as I said, I think this show will change TV. And so I'm, I'm totally content to, uh, to experience as the TV show. Good times. That's just the the notion of like dozing off right in time for that. That's hilarious to me. It was it was a long day. It was a long day. <laughs> well, let's dive in with this episode, Breaker of Chains, and the the element that I'm sure by now, actually, by the time people are hearing this, they might be tired of people talking about it and hearing about it. But the the the, the albatross of this episode, because I think it's actually a, a really entertaining and well done episode. Except for one thing. And so we're just going to start with that and get it out of the way. And that is the rape scene. So in this episode, we see Jamie rape Cersei. And uh, it's gotten a lot of reaction. So I guess, Derek, starting with you, how did that scene work for you? What did you think about it? And are you aware of all the, the reaction online? No, as I say, I try to to uh, keep uh, as far away from this so that uh, I mean, this show is different than, let's say, Louis, where, you know, if you you can't really surprise anybody and say, well, he says something sexually inappropriate. No, there, there's there's anything can happen. Then the stakes are pretty high. So I try to do my best to avoid uh, any any the, the Twitterverse or the online universe about Game of Thrones, which is pretty hard. And and by raping. um Jamie raping uh, you you mean right next to their dead incestuous son that's 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 the thing that was really particularly and I I looked I was watching this with my lady Tanya and her her hand over her mouth she couldn't believe what we were seeing and I just say I'm just glad I can still feel anything in this series and we've been exposed to so much depravity it's just like well Good. I can still feel I'm not entirely dead inside, but I don't know if I am if I can say the same after that scene. It was very, very, very powerful, and uh, uh, I'm I'm getting the idea that that some people might be upset because Jamie seemed to be uh, being nice all of a sudden, and uh, and I, I I would say that this is more like a relapse for like a substance abuser or an alcoholic. Like you you sometimes have a bad day. He might be reverting to type but it's not the same jamie we saw in the first season or even the first episode so this might just be a sign of his um uh healing process because he has been through a lot uh and this it's it's a weird bundle of emotions uh i i i I will not give up on jamie i think i don't think he's going to revert back to type i think it was just like a 
massively ugly relapse. I, I can't give you that. R raping someone was a w way of healing for him? No, I can't no, give please. you that. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, please don't don't take it the wrong way. Uh, these people are terrible people. What, what uh, right way is there to take that, though? Uh, well, I'm not trying to say that I'm an advocate for rape or or anything else like that. I, I'm just saying that uh, Jamie is somebody that we've been seeing a lot of very nice things about recently. His relationship with Bryn, for example, we were seeing a tender side of him. And I think I think he this is just um, uh, I think that he will. I, I, I hope anyway, I, I haven't given up the, the fact that he might actually redeem himself as a character, even though this was him reverting to his you know lannister type which is very very abusive and very manipulative and very destructive to other people but I, I still think we will see uh some more surprises from this character okay that's interesting and i'm curious ricky uh your read of, of it because for me this is not a reverting to type this is a complete betrayal of the character because the jamie we've seen has only ever done things uh actually selflessly the the in his we we're met to we're introduced to him as he's uh trying to kill Bran but the reason he's trying trying to kill Bran is because Bran has seen something that if he tells anyone himself and Cersei and all of their children will be executed uh and so he's not doing that for funsies or for himself you can argue, definitely you can argue he just should deal with the fact that he's going to die and not kill the kid but he's never done anything like this so, so for me, it was not uh, reverting to oh, he's a bad guy again. It was a complete betrayal of the character. Uh, Ricky, where where do you fall on that? I don't think people should get upset when non-bookers watch the series and they get a different read on the character of Jamie because you are a book reader. And so, uh, at 11 p.m. last night, my Facebook feed was flooded with articles specifically about that sequence, and it was all written by people who read the books. Over the past two seasons, uh, Derek, you're right. We've grown to really like Jamie, and it has a lot to do with his relationship with Brienne. I mean, those two were like possibly the best pairing of any two actors and characters of Game of Thrones so far. I mean, we can talk about Arya and the Hound, who are in second place in my in my point of view. But um, yeah, I mean, just last week on the podcast, I think I said that you know I don't pity jamie i actually like jamie i like the character that we've gotten to know in the past two seasons in the first season however he was a little shit he was a horrible person on the very first episode of game of thrones he threw bran out of a window and tried to kill a little boy so my position here is to review the television show and not focus on how it adapts the original source material and i haven't read the original source material from my understanding in the book Jamie and Cersei, when they do hook up and they have a sex scene, it is supposed to be a profound act of grief. And they haven't seen one another in quite some time. In the television show, Jamie's already been back at King's Landing for several weeks. And during those several weeks, him and Cersei have been fighting and arguing nonstop. So, yes, I can understand how it can upset book readers because it changed <clears throat> because the change certainly complicates these characters and their relationship and completely takes the Jamie that we now like and makes us once again hate him. And that's going to complicate us. I was completely disturbed while watching the scene. But I think if you're going to film a rape sequence, it should be discomforting. And that's exactly what it was for me personally. And I mean, this is a show where we see horrible things done to people on a weekly basis. I mean, think back to Joffrey when 
he killed the uh, prostitute with his crossbow in the bedroom. You know, like he's done terrible, terrible things. But Derek's kind of right. I mean, Jamie's lost a lot. He lost his right hand. He lost his reputation as a great warrior. Uh, the love of his life has turned her back on him. He's constantly reminded of his failures ever since he returned. His dad practically disowns him. And Cersei is the one person that brings him happiness, the one and only person that he actually loves and brings him happiness. And lately, she's been sort of, she's been really mean to him. Like, she's inflicted a lot of pain on him. So for his character, given what we've seen of this character in the TV show, in the past, going all the way back to the very first episode in the pilot, it shouldn't be surprising that Jamie can do something as horrific as rape his sister. And from the point of view of a non-book reader who's only watched a television show, and this is the character that we have, to me, it's not a surprise that he can do something so terrible because he's done a lot of terrible things on the TV show. And I know he loves her, but it's not like we've as far as I can remember, I don't think we've ever seen like a romantic sort of like angle to the relationship. It's always based on sex. Like, I don't like it. I don't like the fact that they, they are doing this to the character who I just recently got to like and sort of root for. But I don't think it's surprising. Why must I fall in love with hateful women? There's, there's so much, there's so much uh, room for growth in that line because however ugly that scene was, I think I think there's some uh, we can see some hope because he might be changing. He's maybe somebody who doesn't want to be uh, Jamie Lannister anymore. So I have a significant problem with two things that you guys just said. First of all, this notion that, that because why must I fall in love with hateful women? I fall or I, a hateful woman. He's only ever loved Jamie. Or Jamie's only ever loved Cersei. Why must I fall in love with a hateful woman does not mean, okay, well, you're hateful, so I'm going to rape you. That's not how it works. We, 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 didn't, we, didn't, we didn't say that. We didn't I, say that. I sure as hell did not say that. Okay. Derek, what you literally just said is that he says, what he's, the line that he says is, why must I fall in love with a hateful woman? And so maybe he's going to change and grow from this experience, this experience of raping his sister. He's going to change and yes. grow and become a better person because he raped his sister. Wait, I never said that. No, Derek uh, just no, said that. No, I'm not. I'm saying I see. I, I, I've not given up on Jamie Lannister actually changing because, uh, however horrific that was, uh, this is man who's actually looking into his life right now, and as we did not have that sense of introspection before, you're actually right. I, I never looked at it that he was a selfless, you know, murderer and bully. He was. He was always doing something for his family. And, uh, I, so, so yes, I, I guess, I guess he always, it, it was a bit removed, but he was always a cold killer. Uh, that, that, that little output, that little, however terrifying that entire scene was, I, it makes me see that uh, we're going to see something really interesting in the character. Uh, this, this horrible, horrible character in a horrible, horrible family. Well, and the other thing is, I don't think after that bath scene we got with, Brienne and and Jamie, where he is expressing his anguish over his decision to break his vow to save, to, to kill the Mad King because the Mad King was going to explode all of King's Landing. I don't think you can say he's a heartless, cold killer because clearly this is something he deals with all the time that he carries around with him. Uh, that, that, that's true. That's true. I, I I'm not as familiar with a. Uh... I, I'm just familiar with not uh, the story as presented. I, I I did forget that he did have he did weigh that did weigh on his conscience. You're right, but okay. I'm I'm just 
I'm just thinking there's there's room for uh, that one that one line changed the the entire power of that scene, and I think that's something that we're going to come back to later on as the season evolves. Ricky, the thing that that you were saying that I was taking issue with was this notion that that the only reason that myself and other people who are upset about this, the only reason we're upset is because we're gauging based on the books. And for me, that's that's not the case. I'm looking at what I've seen on this show. I'm very able to, to separate out the character in the books from the character on the TV show. I talk about it all the time with Shay and how that's a completely different character from the TV show and, and to the books. And there's been a few other of them over the course of the series. This is a character that we got to understand and like based on his consistent, his d- defense of Brienne against rapists because he knew mm-hmm. what it would do to her. He knew how horrible it was. So he went out of his way, put himself in danger and lost his hand because he was devoted to protecting her from being raped. And then he turns around and does this. It doesn't make any sense. It's a betrayal of everything the character has been over the past two years. And it's not about the book. I don't care what the book says. I mean, I do, but I don't care in the in this context of the scene. I care about what they have shown this character to be for the past several years. Okay, well, we're going to agree to disagree because um, I think it totally makes sense for his character. I mean, Cersei and Brienne are two totally different people. Brienne was like so lovable and she's so lovable and at times she saved his life and they had this sort of awkward buddy comedy relationship and where they both needed each other and Cersei you know is not exactly the nicest person in the world and yeah he loves her but the relationship's far more complicated and I mean like I said this is not a good person like we could sit here and defend him for the past two seasons doing good things but he's done horrible and evil things in the past and it I mean in his head, if I were to get in his head, the only thing I can think of is it's his twisted way of taking charge of their relationship, which, you know, because this is this is the love of his life, his sister, the woman he's sleeping with, the mother of his three children, and she's basically turning her back on him and he doesn't like it. He wants to take charge again. And that's what he does. Like, I'm not I'm not defending his actions. All I'm saying is that for me as a viewer, I totally believe that this character, Jamie, could do what he does. And not only does like raping Cersei reminds his sister of her repeated violation because she was also raped by King Robert, right? I mean, she's been raped before in her past. And so uh, what I'm trying to figure out is what exactly is, why exactly is the scene so controversial? Is it because of the execution or is it because of the reason for it to exist? Because that's a big question mark for me. Like, is this them just writing in a rape scene for the sake of writing in a rape scene? Or is it going to actually dramatically change Jamie's character arc going forward. And I don't know. I don't know what the writers intend to do with this character. If this is just a rape scene, in hindsight, in a few weeks from now, I can look back and say the scene was useless. But right now, watching that scene last night, it was a powerful, disturbing scene. And I wrote in my review that even in Game of Thrones, monsters are human. And despite the fact that I hate his sister... I couldn't help but feel so incredibly bad from what I was watching. And from an execution point of view, I mean, they could have shot the scene in which he tears up her dress and the actress is completely nude. And it could be, it could have been completely exploitive, but they shot it in a way where it didn't feel exploitive. It felt disturbing and powerful. And I sympathized for her. And that's something I, I haven't felt while watching Game of Thrones yet. I've never felt any kind of emotion for Cersei whatsoever. I never felt that for her. So yeah. Yeah, a couple of things, and then 
we can start to try to move on. But um, here's where the 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 pe- people having reactions based on the book comes into play. And this is where all the discussion of people complaining because this is a direct change from 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 the books. In the in the books, it starts out uh, as as uh, an assault. Just it starts out if you want to say murky, if you want to say it starts out as assault. Either way. At some point in in the exchange, it shifts and she becomes completely uh, involved and engaged. And she's saying yes, that she wants to be with him. And and she is, you know, so it's completely consensual in the books. And uh, and so in 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 this, that shift does not happen because the last thing he says, she says, is that it's wrong and asking him to stop and sobbing. And he's saying, I don't care. So this this in the, the show doesn't change. We have no idea if what's going to happen on the TV show in the next coming weeks, maybe they are going, they're completely rewriting the character and his entire journey and also completely rewriting Cersei's character and her entire journey for the rest of the season. They could do that. However, I don't think they're going to. And here's why the director of the episode who's made a comment on this says that over the course of the scene, it becomes consensual and that's not what we see. So the fact that the director of the scene thinks that by the end of the scene, they're having consensual sex. And, you know, clearly that's not what is depicted. That's a very, very much a problem. The writers and, uh, who are also the producers of the show, who had final cut and were very much involved in this process, process have not made a statement about it. It's, there's a different context, like you said, Ricky, in the, sh- in the show versus the, the books where he, Jamie is gone when Joffrey uh, is killed and only comes that's when he first comes back and so there's a different context there but for me it comes down to are they going to shift the entire character arcs of both characters for the rest of the series or did they not realize what they were doing when they filmed the scene well but the thing is you can't hold that against me because i didn't read an interview with alec phrase how am i supposed to know what he intended to do all i'm saying is when i'm watching the show live that's what i wrote in my review what i wrote in my review was the judgment in my eyes doesn't rest on the execution of the scene but the reason for it to exist and i don't know why it exists because i can't look forward to see what they're going to do in upcoming six episodes so you so and with that said just going back to the book I mean, it sounds like it's it, the way you're describing it. It sounds like sort of like a sad pecking paw straw dogs kind of sequence. And I think I would have been offended by that because, I mean, in straw dogs, when she gets raped at first, she's being raped and then she starts enjoying it. And then she decides that she wants it. And a lot of people took issue with that specific rape scene in that movie, which is why it's one of the most controversial movies ever made. And I don't know if that would have worked well in the TV show either. So maybe this was maybe this whole sequence should have been just completely removed because all it's doing is it's upsetting people. But all I'm saying is based on the character of Jamie, I can believe that he can do something as horrible as raping someone. Well, and if they if this is what they intended, if they intended to film a rape scene with Jamie and Cersei, they did it. They executed. It was very disturbing. They were very effective what they did. Um, And we'll see what happens moving forward. But but you mentioned, Ricky, that there were all these. Uh, articles that went up right away with people talking about the difference between the book scene and the TV show scene. And that's why they're discussing it, because this is going to be a huge shift in both characters for the for their in their entire relationship for the rest of the series. It needs to be. Or if, if it's not, that's a problem. So that's why there's that comparison is coming up. And we'll have to wait to see whether this is just a blunder and they did not realize the tone and the the content of what they were putting out there. 
and they did not expect this reaction or if it was very intentional and everybody who wrote a, a negative reaction piece about it think, assuming that this was not intended to be a rape scene will be eating their words maybe that's the case um george R. R. martin actually already commented on the scene on his blog and he basically says that because the tv show has uh you know they've made some changes from the actual book that he understands why david benioff and db weiss decided to shoot the sequence the way it's shot and, and write it the way it's written. I can't speak for Alex Graves. Like maybe there was a miscommunication between the director and the writers. I have no idea. But um, that's exactly what they intended from a writing perspective, from my understanding, based on what jo George R.R. R. Martin wrote on his blog. Well, what he also says is that he was not involved in that decision or that process at all and that it's a different situation. <laughs> but also it's, he says it's supposed to be disturbing. But if it's disturbing in the wrong way, then he is sorry about that. If this, it's supposed to be he wrote the book, the scene in the book to be disturbing, but it's not intended to be disturbing because it's rape. It's intended to be disturbing because they're having sex next to their dead son um and so so that's what he doesn't say that he thinks it's great that they changed it he said it's a different context so you have to look at it in a different way but he doesn't condone it either okay but before we move forward just quickly the the reason why i mentioned the articles that were posted last night at 11 p.m that flooded my facebook feed it's because every single one of those articles which to be fair i did not read because as soon as i read the first paragraph it was right away co uh, comparing it to the book and i was just like look i'm a non-book reader I'll get around to reading the books, you know, sometime in the near future. For now, I'm just focusing on the show. But it, it just seemed like everyone was comparing the difference between the character of Jamie to the character of Jamie on the TV show. Well, I so. would recommend Scott Meslow's article that he, he put up because that is not from the context of the books, just from the context of the TV show. I 100% with him on that. Also, if if the comparing contrasting the book with the tv show is not a problem for people i highly highly recommend uh for consideration piece uh that that sonia put up over at the av club that is, i i co-sign everything on, on that one for the most part and she also mentions the fact that this is somewhat of a trend because of course in season one they change a consensual sex scene between danny and Khal drogo into a rape scene as well so this is not the first time they've tried to get us to like a female character by having a consensual a messed up a consensual sex scene turned into rape Mm -hmm. Well, and that, that's the problem. And that's why I can't really judge it till I, till I seen the next few episodes and see where they're going with it. Like I found it disturbing, but I didn't find it shocking because of all of the horrible things we see on the show on a weekly basis. I think there's enough uh, in there. The reason maybe we're, uh, we're having this, uh, this spirited debate is because there's enough in that scene that's disturbing and not quite clear. And I, I just, the thing that st sticks out is that line that he said more than anything else. It's not clear cut. I've seen lots of terrible rape scenes in movies before, but there was something to this. There was not, there was a sadness. There was a, there was a power to it that, that I think it's, it was how it was executed and, and how it was written that uh, for whatever it's, intentions were and whatever uh, will be coming down the pike uh i think one of the reasons we're talking about this is because it was so well done and that there's enough for us to to um, uh, look at it. it's multifaceted uh, it's it's more than a straight up exploitation i i think anyway but it's not the first time that game of thrones has gotten into some dicey you know um sexual politics but mm -hmm. uh I, I i still think though that uh 
as I said, um, Jamie is going to change. I don't read the books. I don't know what his original arc was going to be, but I think this is the beginning of a significant change. Well, I'm just reading Jamie in the past few episodes, not not just last night's episode, but as a character who is now hating himself. I mean, he hates himself right now. He doesn't like the position and the place he's in. He doesn't like the fact that he's missing his right hand. He doesn't like the fact that the woman he loves is turning her back on him. And then last week, I think she uh, she had that line where she's like, you came back too late, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, their relationship is complicated. I mean, they're siblings. You know, it's a complicated situation, and it's not black and white. I, I, again, I don't know what the writers plan for, for these two characters on the TV show going forward. We shall see. Until then, I don't know. We should move on. Yeah. Um, and my final thought on the topic of this specific scene will be if uh, if the, the writers and or directors did not intend this as a way that the scene played out to be a rape scene, then I want to know what they think a rape scene looks like, because that's clearly what this I think we all agree on with that. Yes. Yeah. Well, and again, that could be that could just be an attack on Alex Graves, who directed the episode and made that specific comment, because I don't think the writers have actually commented on the scene yet. Yeah, we will have to wait to see their thoughts. I definitely didn't get a consensual sort of uh, feeling from that scene at all. Well, and to continue the conversation in a new, different way, this is the other thing about it is that this episode rape comes up several times throughout the episode because it's it's all over the scenes we get with uh, with Gilly up in the north and with also Arya and the Hound the 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 person that that the Hound robs is very much worried about uh, his daughter being being attacked uh, and so this is not the only part of the of the story that this week that is dealing with the the danger to women in this world how did these other scenes work for you what did you think of the scenes up in the up in the north with sam and, and gilly and what did you guys think of the hound this week well i just want to say that sam is kind of like a sweet guy but kind of an idiot like why would he take her away from the night watch and bring her to a whorehouse like i, I was like so confused i'm like couldn't he have found a better place to put her and he's like no they're all rapists. All of them are rapists. I got to move you out of here. And, but I don't know. And, he, and, and where do they all go? They all go to that town, Molestown, uh, to to have sex with prostitutes. Where you they know? make condoms out of the insides of sheep. I was like, what the hell? I was like, come on, Sam. I mean, you're a lovable guy, but couldn't you have found a better place for her? I, I'm a little I, worried for her right now. At, at least, at least in the castle, the 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 black castle, they, they, there's some sense of decorum. There's nothing going on there. Yeah, it's it's a pretty dumb. Uh, and and again, like we're we're getting into speculation territory, but I mean their their relationship has all the uh, the potential to be something very nice. Uh, but yeah, that was a pretty boneheaded move, I'd have to say. Yeah, and I love how he's such a nice guy that he can't use the word for. Like when he goes to talk to her, he's like, "Yeah, the fellas, they think you're uh, a wildling." <laughs> <laughs> That's the W word. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, Sam is great. It's nice to to get a little time with him. I had been, you know, I don't know where I would have put him in the previous couple episodes, but it was nice to check in with him. It's been a while. Um, I also en- enjoy uh, Gilly, and I like what we'll be getting. Uh, getting, I enjoy the storylines that are coming up next uh, for, for several of the characters up in the north, and that's where I'm gonna you know, plead the book and and not give any further comments on on Sam's decisions uh, as regards uh, Gilly's whereabouts. 
And and it's looking like it's pre- and you know uh, Sam knows that there's this massive invasion force that is coming very very soon, and you'd figure he'd want to, uh, her and her uh, her her child to to be at least safe from that. And you know I have to say that I'm really kind of liking the is it the Thens the cannibals? They're uh, they're they're an interesting uh, addition to the uh, the palette the the palette of human suffering <laughs> that is Game of Thrones. So I, I I've been uh, all, my 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 eyes transfixed when they make an appearance, and those guys are huge. They're massive. Uh, that little raid that we saw, um, they seem like a pretty impressive uh, threat. And and uh, you know I'm just gonna I, I I'm not gonna ask you what's going to happen, Kate, because we would be well, here for it. I'm not going to tell no, you. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna, yeah, okay. <laughs> good. Yeah, I won't even, I won't even insult uh, your, your, your honor by asking uh, if what's, what's happening, but I hope Gilly's, I hope she turns out. Okay. Oh man. When the wildlings attacked the uh, Northern village, I was shocked to see Egrit actually kill a man in front of his son. I was like, Oh no, she's yep. just as bad. Well, of course. Everyone's bad. Everyone but Sam. <laughs> Sam's pretty great. That's their world, man. You know, I, I, no, I'm not a moral relativist, but I, I can understand these people who are brought up in a certain way, and uh, I don't hold anything against her. But yeah, I think she's just taking it out on Jon Snow, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, again, because that's that's the other com- you know connection I was seeing between the stuff in the North and the scene we get with Jamie and Cersei is that we get this very, very likable character. Uh, Igrit that we've you know come to really enjoy, and then we watch her just kill a guy just cause it was not a threat. He's not like it's not like he's attacking her. He's you know I, as I recall, I could be wrong on this. Isn't he like a farmer or something? And she just shoots him. Yeah, well, I think there's no rules when it comes to war because they're on the battlefield. I think they sort of justify their actions. The wildlings are on the yeah. battlefield. The farmers are not on the battlefield. Well, when yeah. they, and I'm sure that probably everybody there would have attacked them, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a, a happy place to be right now. It's good old-fashioned loot and pillage. You can't blame wildlings. That's what they do. But you know what? Maybe Sam made the right choice, because why would you want to stay at Castle Black? I mean, Jon Snow repeatedly reminds us that Mance Raider isn't aware that there's only, like, what, a thousand men guarding Castle Black? And once he finds out there's only, like, but a thousand men, then... A hundred. No, hundred. Yeah. He told them hundred. there were a thousand, and there are really not. <laughs> right. Yeah, not the starting lineup you want to def- be your last and only defense against the walkers and the wildlings. Well, and let's not forget who's in charge right now. We have uh, everybody's favorite former gold coat, you know, Slint. And I mean, there's there's some effective leadership there, but there's also some pretty useless leadership as well. So, you know, there's there are pros and cons. I'll put it that way. There are pros and cons to either side of that. Uh, how about uh, Arya and the Hound? Um, Ari and the Hound, I mean, yeah, they're the best pairing right now. I mean, those two actors have great chemistry. I love the fact that whenever we get the Hound and Arya, there's a good dose of some much-needed black humor. I think the Hound delivers one of the best lines in this episode. I- I'm not really sure if if any of it was necessary, but I sure as hell enjoyed watching them. Well, I'm I'm all of a sudden uh, a big fan of Arya, if only because my cousin uh, recently had a uh, a girl and they named her Arya. So I'm particularly interested. I'm glad she's got uh, the the sword back. Uh, but like pairing up is what 
Game of Thrones does, though. I mean, like uh, Arya was with Tywin for a while, and it's it's good. It's a it's a good prism to go go into somebody else's uh, point of view. And even you know Tywin was sort of humanized, even though you know he's a monster too, a very ruthless man. Through when his time was his time with Arya allowed us to sort of see the nuance and the multifaceted psychology of the man, and that's that's one of the show's strengths. But and so the pairing up the unlikely um, duo, uh, usually on a road trip, is is just a great. Uh, uh, a great time to do a little exposition and a great time to do a little uh, character development. I'm really enjoying their time together. And I want Arya to start, I want her to start kicking some serious butt. She has. Th- that was the starters, man. That's appetizers. There's a main course coming. I can feel it. Yeah, but I don't want Arya to go too dark, too evil. I mean, you know, we have to have some good people on the show. And it's like, like, like I just said, Egrid is going around killing children in front of their parents. And I mean, I like the fact that she's paired up with the Hound because I think she needs the Hound in order to learn how to survive. And she needs to be somewhat cold blooded. But at the same time, I don't want her to go straight up evil. Like, I don't want her to become like every character on the show. Oh, she's Ned Stark's daughter. She's yeah. a, she, you know, I. <laughs> the lesson she learned from Ned Stark was that he got his head cut off. Uh, so, well, you know, we'll see how much she remains his daughter and for how long. It's a, it's an interesting progression. Be quicker and don't trust uh, Peter Baelish. That's all. That's a good. <laughs> Can't trust a man whose accent changes on a weekly basis. I, don't, <laughs> I was going to say, right? I don't normally pick up on uh, an accent shift, but I totally picked it up on him. I'm like, the dude's Irish. I didn't know he was Irish. We just talked about Queer as Folk like a week ago in the Televerse. I didn't even know he was Irish. But in this episode, I'm like, dude's got an Irish a- accent. What's going on? Completely different. It was I mean, it was so discon- you know, just discombobulating for me. And because we did just talk about Queer as Folk UK, which is a wonderful series, and you guys should check out the Televerse if you're curious at all, uh, our thoughts on that, that series starring Aidan Gillen, of course. And we... Ricky and I both said we thought it was his best performance. So if you like him as Baelish, you'll like him even more over there on that series. But yeah, I was thinking, is this because I just watched a bunch of Queer as Folk where he's playing a different character? Am I remembering that performance and not the other Peter Baelish? So I'm glad it's not just me. I was totally confused by the accent. That's one hell of a way to reintroduce a character, though. Were you guys, were you surprised? Uh, I don't know. I didn't like his introduction. Like, I mean, I was like, I was getting this Lord of the Rings Gollum vibe. It's like Sansa. Like, <laughs> what is going on with him? He just sort of like mysteriously pops up over like the the edge of like the ship, and I don't know. He's just so creepy. I'm like, oh my god, Sansa! Like, you go from one creep to the next creep. I was are, like, what are you doing? Are you trying to imply that uh, Baelish is has a thing for precious tolly women? Yes. <laughs> Is that his precious? Yeah, I, I was. I there's one thing I'm not really clear on is how did Sansa uh, facilitate the murder? I'm not quite clear about that. And I actually I knew that Joffrey had to die last week after he crossed the line uh, with uh, Tywin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, no, no, sorry, Tyrell. Tyrion, damn, I get all the ties mixed up. Uh, when he crossed the line, he really humiliated. I said, "Nah, he's going to die. He's got to die. And I thought, really believed that Sansa was going to pick up her father's reforged sword and just run it through. And I was, I, I, I said, oh, he's got to die. Nobody will help him either. That's going to be the real thing. So I'm not quite sure how she facilitated the murder. So I'm up for any uh, input on that. Well, as a non-book reader, last 
I think I said all signs pointed to Lady Olena because I rewatched the episode twice actually, and there is just like these camera shots and the way the camera was placed and the way we see her in the background. And at one point, she actually grabs Sansa's necklace. And in this episode, uh, you know, we find out that Peter Baelish. Uh, Littlefinger is involved in a conspiracy and it totally makes sense because the necklace is a total fake and I guess that's where they hid the poison and, uh, and also her line, the line is what really clued me in when she says Lady Lana last week says what kind of monster would murder someone at a wedding and so the thing is though when I was editing the podcast last week Kate, you mentioned Agatha Christie, right? And I Right away, thought of the uh, the novel Ten Little Indians. Is that what it's called? Yeah, one of them. Yeah. So that's the novel in which all ten suspects are responsible. Ooh, I, mean, I guess I'm spoiling the book here, but anyways, are, it's it's sixty years old. <laughs> are responsible for the murder, and so I was like, okay, wait a minute. So maybe it's just not Lady Olena. Maybe it's Lady Olena and Littlefinger, and maybe even Tywin, and God knows who else. Like maybe there's a bunch of people involved. So um, I don't I don't know if we're going to find out. I, I think we will based on what I what I hear, because I think in the book, they actually do specifically say who killed Joffrey. Uh, but I don't think Sansa was in on it at all. Neither was Tyrion. Like they are totally clueless. Neither was Marjorie and neither was Cersei. But everybody else most likely had a, had a hand in the murder. So so the, the poison was in her necklace that the, her drunken fool knight uh, gave her. Okay, a- I'm a non-book reader. I'm only basing this on what I see, but then some people are throwing around the whole idea that it is actually the red magic and he just choked. But I'm like, what did he choke on? He was drinking wine. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't choke on liquid. He, he could have been poisoned earlier. That's another thing. Uh, and, and Kate is being very diplomatically quiet. Uh, um- so... Uh, let- so so I guess then this just all looks like a bit of regal spring cleaning. It's just pruning an ugly branch of the family tree. It's like off with Joffrey and we'll just get a newer non-psychotic king. And it looks like uh, Elena and and uh, Ty, and Tywin are sort of in on it or I mean it was a pretty it was a pretty quick succession of power well I think so I mean it was so complicated there had to be several people involved I mean and it goes back all the way back to season two because in season two when Littlefinger meets Marjorie for the very first time he asks her if she wants to be queen and she replies I don't want to be a queen I want to be the queen like she wanted to be the only queen and the thing is if Lady Olenna is involved she isn't the queen because they didn't actually get married. The, the wedding was never finished. So it doesn't make sense for it to, to only be Lady Olena because she would have poisoned Joffrey after he was actually married to her. So it has to be someone else involved like Tywin, who's a Lannister. Uh, and of course, Littlefinger's involved. So it's got to be several people. And also the prince. I mean, we find out in this episode that he's a master of making uh, poisons. And I think that's why his nickname is the Red Viper. So he has to be involved. So, And then, of course, the prince is put on the small council, you know, on the request of Tywin. And so, yeah, I think there's at least like five people involved. Well, that's one of the things I liked about this episode was that uh, it was – uh, you know, oh, right back to business. We're in the ruling business, folks, and so it looks like a clear line of succession, and the me- me- mechanics mechanics of the statecraft is in play, which I kind of missed in the show. But I really just like hearing how smart Tywin is because he is actually taking, you know, uh, you know the oh, 
Daenerys's threats and the White Walkers, and because you kind of get the impression that they're like, oh, what White Walkers? What, <laughs> what, what a massing of the dead! You know, that's just Northerners talk. But he's actually taking this seriously, and that's one of the things I like about his character is he's utterly ruthless, but he's so crystal clear. He's so. Uh, sharp as attack on on what needs to be done, and so that little bit of exposition on the the, the qualities of of rulership, I thought was 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 quite good, and and that's that's the sort of thing that really uh, attracted me to the show at first. Mm-hmm. I'm not so I'm not as big as uh, I'm more about um, the, uh, the the politics and the the, the statecraft and the backstabbing more than you know the dragons, but the dragons are fine too. They complement each other rather well. Just one final remark on the murder mystery. The thing is, is if Tywin is involved in poisoning Joffrey, which I seriously doubt because he really does value his family, uh, but you never know. But if he is, it doesn't make sense that he would allow Tyrion to be accused of murder because, I mean, Tyrion is, as we all know, the smartest Lannister, and I think he actually finds him valuable. But maybe it's just a big conspiracy to to destroy the entire Lannister family who are falling apart. I mean, everybody's fighting with everybody within this family, so we don't know. At the height of their powers, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not convinced that Tywin had anything to do with it. What I was just remarking at is just, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Joffrey is not even cold, and he's already planning. So this is just a minor setback. We can fix this, and and I, that that was just uh, it, it just. A, a tribute to the universe building that this uh, the show does is that it's so clear. It makes total sense. It, there's a there's a logic to all of these actions behind the scenes, and and, and it would be exactly like this. Go on to the what's his name, uh, Tommen. Have we ever have we seen him before? I don't. Think- we have, but it's a new actor. Dean Charles Chapman is the newcomer. Uh, we've seen Tommen way back in like episode one, and I think even episode two of season one. Uh, and actually, he was in the last episode. He was sitting next to Tywin at the at the reception hall. Mm. But um, yeah, it's been a while since we've seen him. But it totally makes sense that you know he's going to get right down to business because he knows how important it is to to right away figure out who the next king's going to be. I mean. Like the thing is, I wrote this in my review. Like as much as I like the Red Wedding and I love that episode, and it was heartbreaking. And the direwolf Greywind dies, and Lady Stark dies, and Rob's unborn baby dies, and you know people cried. And like it's, it has to be the most talked about Game of Thrones episode yet. The thing is, it didn't really feel like a game changer. It just felt like a lot of people we like die. But Joffrey dying is a game changer, and he carries immense power. So it totally makes sense that Tywin is right away going to get down to business and start looking at who could be the new king. Yep. Well, I mean, he's he's unflappable. The man cannot be flapped. So it, it makes sense <laughs> that, that that he's uh, immediately – and, of course, he's, he's giving excellent advice, but he's also giving the advice that uh, says, yeah, just do what I tell you because I'm wise. You're not wise yet. Just, you know, let me let me puppet you. So it's it's very – it's excellent advice, but it's also very self-serving advice as well and of course we get to see Cersei you know she loses her one son and she's already sort of in in a way due to marriage lost her daughter to Dorne and now basically Tywin just steering her last son off by himself it's like follow me pay no attention to the women folk uh, yeah. <laughs> and I love how he provides examples of previous kings or former rulers and how they like sucked <laughs> they just died and I'm like 
do these people actually exist or is he just like making it up? I mean, like King Robert, yeah, and I guess he brings up King Joffrey, but he could have just kept on going. He, you know, he could have named off a hundred kings. Like he was just trying to make a point to his grandson. Um, but I just loved the whole exchange between him and Tommen. And like when he asks him the first question, right away everyone thinks it's a trick question because it sounds like kind of like a stupid question, like what makes a good king? And I just like the way he quickly responds, it's not a trick question. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I love Charles Dance. He's by far my second favorite actor in the show. I think Peter Dinklage is still my favorite. And I love the exchange between Tywin and Oberyn, uh, the prince. Mm. And, uh, and I, I mean, um, this is the thing I just want to clarify, right? The mountain is the hound's sibling, like his older bro. The one but, who burnt him. But he's also he's the guy who also killed the the horse back in season two, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. What is up with this show killing horses and wolves? Dire wolves, no doubt, and all the other people. <laughs> <laughs> who cares about the people? It's the horses they care about. Now, now I'm just going to a Hannibal place yeah. with it too. So that's another level of horses. But um, yeah, th- we we. There will be more. It, the, they, they did recast the mountain, so that tells me, us that we should expect to to see him on screen at some point this season. So, so has Prince Oberon uh, grown on you? Because I know you were somewhat unsure of the uh, the the performance or, or the the physicality of the character, not necessarily fitting with like this whole the Red Viper thing, Ricky. Um. Not the performance. Uh, I said last week that I loved his performance. I loved his line delivery. It was more to do with the physicality because of my friends who described them as like this giant beast who can kick ass. It was like a sex object. And I mean, I get the walking sex aspect of him. Like the dude is sexy. But uh, based on the descriptions that my friend, my friends gave, like my friends who are book readers gave of this specific character, I just expected something totally different. So when I first saw him, I was a little confused. And I was like, oh, that's the prince that everyone's talking about. But no, he's fantastic. I, I think out of, you know, like Pedro Pascal is by far the best new addition to the cast. And uh, I just wish the show would give some kind of like warning. We've recast so-and-so because there's been quite a few recastings and it's a little confusing at times. Yeah, especially if you're not uh, if if you're not a book reader, and if it's you know you haven't re rewatched anything you know recently. So, uh, yeah, it, it's yeah, it, it can be it can be somewhat confusing. Before we move on to, we should talk a little bit about Danny here. We're almost out of time, but uh, I just want to mention we were saying there's there's no nice people <laughs> anymore. It's just Sam, but you know the little love for Pod this week, right? He he sticks by Tyrion, doesn't take the knighthood. He's a good guy. Yeah, no, there's a few good people. Pod, Sam, the Starks, whoever's left of the Starks. <laughs> but, um, Hodor. You know, I don't I don't give a shit about Hodor. I don't care. The whole internet oh, can explain because I said Hodor. that. Oh, who cares? Hodor. Hodor. He, he's, Hodor. He's, he says what I feel, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like Pod. And uh, I, I like, like, yeah, that whole exchange between Tyrion and Pod was fantastic where he says... The ominous they. I mean, like, yeah. that should be the name of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, such a good line. And there's never lived a more loyal squire. Um, yeah, he's fantastic. I like that he was just about to walk out, but he felt guilty. So he had to turn around and confess. And uh, yeah, Tyrion's right, man. That kid needs to run. <laughs> he's, yeah. I, I, I still, I really hope that we don't. Uh, we don't see Shay again, or if we do, she's leading like the palace guard to rescue uh, her uh, her lion, 
because uh, if she ever falls into the hands of his sister, oh my god, I was so, I was so glad to uh, that she apparently got on the boat, but apparently. we didn't we didn't see it, and they have boats that can go back. That's a, that's a thing. So no, they just go the one don't... direction. They don't go both ways. They, they just go... ah, that's the Westeros way. <laughs> eh? It would ex... ah, that explains why winter is so long. Yeah. It's all, they have to science. Go all the way around before they can. Yeah. 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 Can I just give a shout out to King Joffrey? We see him one last time making his final appearance, and it's his best performance because he's quiet, dead, doesn't speak. No, but in all seriousness, I'm going to miss King Joffrey. Uh, Jack Gleason, fantastic actor, and I think he's one of the most important characters to the series. And uh, it's a shame that we're going to lose him, but hey. I, I think that I think he played himself out. That's why I, I kind of suspect that he he was going to die. He was not a character that had much nuance to him, but he was done perfectly. And I really hope that Gleason gets the role. His next role is as the nicest guy in the world or like like a superhero or something, just because that's going to be a tough one for him to live down. This oh, week. he's he's quitting acting, though. Oh, is he? Yeah, he doesn't want to be an actor. But I love how in this episode, Marjorie, like, I mean, this is his reputation now. She's like, oh, and he was crying out to his mom right before he died. Like, it's like the king. And, like, the last thing people remember about him is the fact that he was crying to his mom for help. I mean, that is just so embarrassing for King Joffrey. <laughs> yeah, that horrible way he died was so, so embarrassing. So it was being wedding. <laughs> And Lady Olena, when she's talking to Marjorie, she's like, oh, third time's a charm. You'll get it right next time. I, I, want, to, I want a love, love affair with uh, Tywin and Olena. They're, they're perfect for each other. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. And West would not be the same. That's that's the uh, that's the thirty screwball comedy version of the show. They would be exchanging <laughs> barbs with their razor wit, and uh, eventually they would realize they would they would every, they would be fighting, and they realize the reason they hate each other is because they really love each other. It'd be a whole thing. Um, <laughs> the thing about that though is that yes, it sucks for for her for Marjorie that she's now had two different uh, husbands. Uh, die and this one he does he doesn't even make it past the uh the the wedding feast but uh, hey you know what if it's, it's pretty convenient for her because now they can just get it annulled they can just get it annulled there's no consummation clearly of course they didn't sleep together beforehand dot 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 uh so she'll be able to just you know marry the next king or or whatever the the various scheming is for for marjorie knowing marjorie she'll find a way to make sure she's uh lined up to marry the next king Whoever, the next it, king it, is like maybe. twelve, and That's so not unheard of. I think Come he's on. twelve, right? It's not unheard of. They used to do that all the time. Oh, I know. We just talked about queer folk last week, but <laughs> yeah, uh, Henry the oh. Henry the Eighth married uh, Isabel was much older than him. Uh, he was a young one when uh, he married her. So okay, I know, but okay. The thing is, yeah, I get it. But the thing is, Marjorie is hot. This kid is twelve. Do you think Marjorie actually wants to marry a twelve-year-old boy? No. Queen Isabella was totally hot. She wants to be queen. She does not care. I'd really. She was willing to marry Joffrey. Come on, Tommen's actually nice. He doesn't, you know, torture animals and Roz for fun. Yeah, he seems like a pretty cool kid. <laughs> On the scale, yeah. I, I bet you. I bet you Tywin didn't even remember his name. I've never seen him talk to him. He's probably like, "What's my grandson's name again?" <laughs> oh yes. Now I'm gonna go give him a big lecture on how to be a good king and remind him that I'm in charge. What's your name again? <laughs> Well, who knows? He might be a good king, and I'm not gonna. I'm, I'll just do dot dot dot. He might be a good king. <laughs> I, maybe he'll finally deal with those damn walkers. <laughs> 
Well, speaking of good kids, we should uh, check in briefly with Shireen, who we always, I always enjoy at least, another one of the few good characters. Any thoughts on Davos and uh, Shireen this week? Or shall we move to Daenerys? Man, Davos deserves better. Stannis does not treat him very well. And I love how Danos is like, we're willing to use blood magic, but you won't pay men to fight. <laughs> like, I don't understand how Stannis can ever lead an army. Like, he just seems like such an idiot. Yeah, he's he's a great character, and uh, again, pairing with uh, the the little girl there, whose name I totally forget, uh, is is good. Like, uh, full of wit, brimming with a lot of like humanity, the finer points of smuggling the piracy. It, it's 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 one of the the highlights of the show, but it's also tempered with uh, the fear and loathing I feel towards the red. The Red Queen, Candace Van Houten's character, I, I, she legitimately terrifies me because um, I, I remember I listened to your your first podcast for this season, and uh, I think it was Ryan McGee said one of the big themes is that there's uh, the old ways are not held to to account. That's why you can murder people at weddings, but the fact that you have like a new monotheistic god that's just going to burn sinners. Uh, that that really does scare me, and I'm a big fan of Candace Van Houten. I've ever ever since Black Book, so she's doing a, a, a good job. So uh, I'm glad that uh, Stannis is still in the game. Um, but we should move on to to Danny. Uh, what did you guys? I know I know there were some uh, people who were unsure about the recasting of Dario Naharis. What did you guys think of of him this week? Did he did he earn his place? Well, again, I never really cared for the character. So is he a better actor? Yeah, I guess. He looks better for the part. I mean, we talked about this like two weeks ago where the previous actor looked like Fabio, you know? It was kind of, I don't know, not to insult the man, like the person. It just, for me personally, it didn't really fit in the world of Game of Thrones. I just didn't like his look. Um, So, I mean, it was, I won't say it was cool to see him kill a horse because it's kind of cruel, but it was, it was well done that sequence, but he doesn't really do anything. I mean, he just kind of stands there and, and that whole sequence, I mean, think about it. Like the way Danny slowly introduces every single one of her, her, um, I don't even know what you would call them. Her, her main men. Generals. Yeah. And she's like, no, you can't do it because so-and-so no, you can't do it because so-and-so like the, the way the whole scene was executed, it was poorly directed because it just felt like there was no urgency. It's kind of like, Hmm, let me introduce this character, remind everyone who he is, what he does for me and why he can't actually die. Let's move on to the next person. The camera slowly pans, the camera pans again to the next person. And then all of a sudden Dario's like, I'll do it. You know? So, um, yeah, but it was a cool sequence, I guess. I guess. I mean, I don't know, really know if I needed to see two guys piss for no reason, but I, I, I think the idea of him is more interesting than the character himself because I think his whole purpose is to destabilize the dynamic in that camp, and so to. Uh, oh God, I was I I can't remember uh, the guy from Bear Island. Um, that's Jorah. the only thing I know. Joral, yes. No, no, no. Uh, Jorah. Jorah, very Jorah. Okay, Jorah. Uh, he, uh, I've always liked that character, but I think that he's going to be on the outs very soon. Um, and uh, he, his, he, yeah, I think his whole point that character is just to destabilize and put a little um, uh, strife in this apparently unstoppable force. And uh, I'm, I'm really kind of liking this whole, you know, slave revolt thing. But I think that's really going to fall apart real soon too, because. 
uh, you know, it, difficult things about uh, freeing slaves, they actually might take that seriously that they're actually free men and they're not just free men and women and they're not just there to glorify their new um, leader. So I, I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to just how terrible things are going to go south literally um in that camp and i think i think he is one of the uh the destabilizing forces but just in terms of appearance he kind of looks like you know like a, if you were to go into dictionary and look up rake handsome rake that that's he's just almost like fabio like he's just out of a harlequin novel so he killed a horse all right i guess yeah but the the thing about See, the thing about Danny's sequences is, I mean, I really love her character, and I mean, she's got dragons, and that's cool, but we talked about this, I think, last week. How how much more of her walking around from city to city are we going to get? And from my understanding, based on Kate's reaction, we're going to get a lot more of her walking around from city to city. And so when she arrives at, at Marine... I knew we weren't going to get a big action set piece on that specific episode because I was just judging by the running time. But, I mean, I, I guess HBO doesn't really have it in their budget to do big action sequences. But, I don't know, they got to do something more than her showing up at a gate. And I, I, I really liked how they handled that, though. Uh, I mean, you can you can see the CGI. It's, it, it's not a cast of tens of thousands. But I kind of liked how the catapult... Uh, a bunch of broken collars into the city. Like she's uh, she's learning this uh, uh, stormborn lady. You never know. I think she's uh, I think she's somebody to watch. Uh, cause yeah. I, but but I think though that there's going to be enough dissent in her camp that even though they're they're really on the the wax right now, they will be on the wane very soon because that that will quickly uh, tear apart as most slave rebellions do. I say this as I have lots of. Uh, I have a long tradition in slave rebounds. I don't, but uh, I just, I, it's, it's one of the most interesting uh, camps and I'm glad that we saw even just a little bit, but man, I really want to see that city burn because of they, they put a, a child at every marker, a mile marker and that, that, Oh, that city's got to burn. I well, can't wait. The thing is I put interesting. I wrote the word interesting in my review. I think it's an interesting choice the way they decided to execute that sequence, but just think about it. They arrive at the city and all these people are waiting for them on the wall. Okay. Fine. And she just delivers this huge speech, and the slaves are all like in awe and wonder. Maybe if she, if they saw the dragons behind her or something. <laughs> I mean, it's just this lady showing up, and I'm not even sure if they can actually. I'm not convinced that they can actually hear her. I mean, how far can she project her voice? I mean, there's a lot of people. Those walls are very tall, and it's a huge city. And so she delivers a speech, and I don't know. I, I just. I, and I hated the last shot. I'm sorry, I hated the last shot where we get the slave looking at the chains and he looks at his like slave master and it just cuts. I hated the last shot. Um, but hey, d doesn't Amelia Clark is that Valerian she's speaking or Dothraki? Man, she's really delivering the lines really well. I was like, wow, that's with gusto. And so when you're reading the book, is it like, no, I was like, <laughs> no, they developed the languages for the it, TV show, <laughs> they hired a linguist. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a bit confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that would be. Yeah, it's it's not like uh, it's not uh, Tolkien style in the in that same way. Uh, yeah, there's. You know, I, it's just fun to see a little different approach this week with the you know going for the hearts and minds <laughs> rather than the going with the propaganda attack literally more than the just the physical attack. So we'll see. I'm sure how that plays out next week. But 
the thing with Game of Thrones and and you know because last season I I had some a couple disappointments with the Danny storyline and everybody else really loved the way that she dealt with you know that the giving away the dragon and that fight sequence whereas I was watching it going seriously like two CGI fireballs in the back of one seat we're not actually going to see any of the that massive battle it was a huge disappointment for me whereas the non-book readers who didn't come in with like this awesome fight scene from a book that they were looking forward to uh they tended to really enjoy that that so i'm curious to see where they're where they're allotting their allocating that i should say their budget this season because each season seems to have like a handful of spectacle uh, moments. So last season we got, you know, Brienne fought a bear. We got the climb up the wall. We, there were, there were a, a few things that, that, that got, and of course the red wedding, but you know, there were a few moments over the course of the season where they were able to uh, allocate their budget. So the way that's going to branch out this season, I mean, that, that, that sequence at the purple wedding had to have been, uh, expensive, I would imagine, just because there was so many. Just having hiring all using having to pay all the actors to be in the same scenes together, as opposed to splitting their time between more episodes. I don't know. Um, I would I would imagine that we'll be running into budgeting issues with which storylines are going to get the most uh, time and spectacle. But uh, certainly, there's potential for there to be a lot with you know a lot of action with with Danny this season. Or at least in, in you know a handful of moments over the course of the season, or they could do what they did last season, which was kind of shoot around the edges of it and not really show those scenes. I, I read in an interview that HBO has a few big action epic sequences planned in the near future, so I expect at least one in season four, if not two. But are are they going to be in Mad Men? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh no, that's AMC. Sorry. Oh, so you mean for Game of Thrones? Yes, yes, of course. Sorry. <laughs> and I, I, I just book readers will know. And uh, there's, there's, you know, book. I, I just don't want to even say anything. I cannot confirm or deny what you just said there, Ricky. You see, in in my eyes, the perfect episode of Game of Thrones involves Danny on her dragon, Jon Snow riding a direwolf, and Tyrion. I don't know. Tyrion can just walk and they team up and they destroy the wildlings and the Greyjoys and the cannibals and everybody. And Walder Frey. That guy's got to burn, too. That guy needs to <laughs> blow up. <laughs> well, do we have any final thoughts on this episode or uh, things that we're hoping for? As the season continues, completely separate of the book, we've been mentioning pairings. I don't the pairing that I don't know if I could handle the awesomeness of uh, would be would would be Arya and Tyrion. Is there a pairing you guys would love to see? Yeah, I mean it's Jon Snow and Danny and uh, Tyrion. I think those three characters like aligned would be so interesting. Um, in terms of what I want to see in season four, oh man, there's so many things I want to see. I want to see more of Jon Snow, more of the North, because the thing is, it's like even Tywin mentions in this episode, he's like, you know, the real threat is the wildlings, it's the Greyjoys, it's Danny, it's it's her army, it's the dragons, it's not whatever's going on at weddings in, you know, in the North. Like, so I just want to see more of the supernatural stuff. I want to see more of Bran. I know a lot of people do not like the character. I happen to to like him. And um, as far as this episode goes, I just think, uh, you know, like 
thinking back on the post red wedding episode last year, I thought that episode was incredibly disappointing. It's probably probably my least favorite episode of Game of Thrones yet. And so the post purple wedding episode to me is a great episode. It's full of conspiracy, double crossing. There's plenty to talk about. It's really dense. There's a lot of characters, a lot of story to keep up with. And I think it really moves the plot forward. So I'm excited for next week. Yeah, it's, it's realigning and uh, that, that was definitely needed. And uh, as, as you say, like uh, Tywin is the, the, just the fact that there's somebody not asleep at the wheel and realizing, yes, this is going to be a serious uh, that he's taking it serious means that we're going to definitely get a, a siege of the wall and then maybe all of Westeros. So that that's something I'm looking forward to. Uh, I mean, that's that's a great thing about this show. The, the highest compliment I can ever give a show is that I watch it in real time like a sucker uh and it's always tough i I prefer to sort of wait and then you know watch them you know mainline it and uh every week it's the same thing when the credits roll up i'm like oh god i've got to wait a week no i've got to wait a week minus an hour uh and you know exactly a week from now i'll be in the exact same place i'm really really disappointed with an episode i'm usually uh, i can't wait to see the next one and so this is no different there's definitely pointing that there's enough enough forces in play all with their own sort of equilibrium and dynamics that uh there's just basically anything can happen and so i you know i i they i've i know what i'm doing on sunday that's what and i think i know what i'm doing for the next uh, six Sundays. Yeah, I was talking about that with my friend earlier tonight about appointment viewing. I was like, you know, Game of Thrones to me is appointment viewing. I have to sit down and watch a show live. And it has a lot to do with the fact that I just love the show, but also you don't want to be spoiled. I mean, you can go on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or you could just be like on the subway and someone's talking about the show and they spoil what happened in the, in the pre- previous night's episode. Game of Thrones to me is appointment viewing. There's very few shows that I have to watch live, and this is one of them. It's it's old fashioned TV watching, actually. You know, in the old days, you didn't have streaming or anything. You you just turned on the TV, and if you were lucky, there was a show you liked on. And this is what it kind of reminds me of: is that even though I don't come with a lot of knowledge um, about the show, it reminds me of you know when I was growing up, um, I would watch a lot of PBS and. Even though these shows didn't all have like large arcs, they usually had big histories. And it's kind of nice to just sort of jump in and and uh, and figure my own way out in this series. It's it's my own way. It's my own take on it. Uh, and it it helps that the entire show is in the hands of people who have a good eye for cinema and a good ear for drama. And they know the rules of drama. And so even like a, a relative newcomer like myself coming in. I even though they're throwing all of this universe building uh, history at me, I always more or less know what I want, and I always want to. I always leave wanting to know more. I have a quick question for Kate, and then I'm done. And it's not really related to Game of Thrones, but 20 years ago, say the internet existed, and we were doing podcasts. The, the, the internet existed 20 years ago. <laughs> like podcasts existed. Um, do you think, like, what, can you name off a show off the top of your head that do you think people would have been podcasting about? I mean, like, there's, like, 200 podcasts for Game of Thrones and Walking Dead. Like, what show do you think, like, 20, 30 years ago people would have podcasted about? Babylon 5. Babylon 5. Uh, I, but what, 20 years ago, I think that, that puts Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks into contention, doesn't it? Exactly. Yep. So, that's tail, tail end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that... If people were podcasting 20 years ago, Twin Peaks would have been the very first TV podcast. Star Trek. Duh. Yeah. There are certain fan bases that would always merit it. But as far as sh- sh- the kind of shows where 
they hit uh, the zeitgeist and everybody's talking about it and everybody keeps wanting it. A show like Twin Peaks is so dense. There's so much there to explore if you want to. It makes it perfect fodder for something uh, like this. And, of course, that's n- much more the norm now. They expect TV shows to be paused and to, everything in the background to be examined and all of that. And so they, there are far more shows now that are able to hold up to that to this kind of weekly analysis or or, uh, or exploration that wasn't the case 20 years ago, but there are a handful of them. And yeah, a lot of the big genre ones. And then certainly Twin Peaks. Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> Which sweater vest will it be this week? <laughs> I can see symbols in it. Oh my God. It's all about the Apollo landing. When we're analyzing sweater vests, guys, you know what that means? It means it's time to end the podcast. I see by the clock on the wall. It's time to bid you one and all. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Derek, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. It's been a thrill. Where can our listeners find your work online? Well, I'm uh, part of the Doctor Who podcast for Sound on Sight. Uh, we've been on hiatus since I started a new job and uh, dealing with fatherhood, but uh, we're about to come back on uh, with uh, some more David Tennant stuff, and we've got a few surprises during the summer. You can check me out on SOS Doctor Who at Twitter. And uh, Ricky? You can find me on Twitter at Sound on Sight and on the website soundonsight.org. I usually review genre TV shows and horror films and, of course, my movie podcast, Sorted Cinema, which um, we drop episodes, I think, every Sunday night now. And, of course, I'm at the Televerse on Twitter, and you can listen to me every Tuesday, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, talking about the rest of television on the Televerse podcast. Uh, always a lot of fun there. You can read my reviews of, right now it's finishing up the season of Grimm, and we just kicked off Orphan Black. So I'm so very excited to be reviewing that uh, every week at Sound on Sight. And, of course, there's also uh, there's also the This Is Our Design, Handle podcast that I put out with Sean Coletti over at uh, Sound on Sight. So that's a lot of fun as well. So if you want an hour... You know, that kind of over-analysis I was saying you can do with Twin Peaks, you can do that kind of over-analysis with Hannibal, challenge accepted. I, I, I find a way to over-analyze and read way too much into it every single week. So if you guys are interested in that show at all, uh, check out that podcast as well. But next week we'll be back with uh, episode four of season four, Oath Keeper, written by Brian Cogman and directed by a certain Miss uh, Michelle McLaren. We like her. We've heard of her, yes. What? For real? Yep. For reals, wow. yeah. Yeah. So we'll be back with that next week. Thank you again, everyone. Thank you again, Derek, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. There's something else, my lord. A man, I didn't know his face. He came to ask if I'd testify against you. Said I'd be named Sir Podrick Payne if I told the judges you bought a poison called the Strangler. Sir Podrick Payne? That's a nice ring to it. What did you tell him? I didn't tell them anything, my lord. Are you going to accept their offer? My lord. Testifying against me wasn't a suggestion. If they can't tempt you with honey, they'll choose something less sweet. You've been good to me, my lord. Pod, the trial's in a fortnight. They'll want an answer before that. Already gave them an answer, my lord. I will not have you die on my behalf. Do you hear me? If I have to take that long walk to the executioner's block, I don't want to see your head already mounted. My lord. Pod, I am giving you an order. Go and find my brother and tell him I need him. Then get yourself out of King's Landing before it's too late. Pod! This is farewell. 
Father. Pod. Pod. 